Are we good? We've had a lot of trouble with downloads, and I tried to do a short, and that had problems. So let me know, would you please, if we're good here? And I'm not seeing a lot here. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, give me some feedback. Are you catching this live? I hope you are. Um, this has been a day of uh, a little bit of electronic interference, and Brenda, I'm assuming you can hear me okay, and we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, I didn't get to announce this ahead of time because I tried to upload the short that would have announced this, and I couldn't get it to load, and I redid it, wouldn't load. Redid it, wouldn't load. So I even changed internet provider, didn't work. Uh, had to, had trouble with the download for the required thumbnail image. Uh, not whining, I'm just saying the, the bugaboos are out. And I'll tell you why I think we're having trouble is because of the fact that uh, we're talking about the baddest, biggest bully on the block. This is the one that everyone's afraid of. This is the company that can wreck your credit, can take your business over, can drive you into bankruptcy, hound you forever, decide what people get canceled. They have total control right now over our government. They have virtually total control over all business. And we're going to talk about that. And you know who else is onto this? And I was kind of surprised. Um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And he and I see the world through a little different lens. I agree with him on a lot of things, but we do see the world through a different lens. I mean, he is a Democrat. He comes from the aristocracy, but I think he's a good man. But he's really concerned about BlackRock and he lumps State Street and... Um, Vanguard, BlackRock all together. He says they're interlocked and therefore they're just one big giant corporation. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. Um, looks like we're starting to pick up steam here with people coming on. And if you're not listening to us live and you catch us on a replay here, uh, we're lucky to be going. I'm telling you, we have had major, major issues today. We had another instance when I'm interviewing someone. This turns on and starts dialing people in my phone book. Another happened to Paul Preston the other night at 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I don't know if he believed me when I told him. I said, Paul, you're not the first. Mike Kerr was another one this happened to. In fact, I was actually on an interview, and Mike Kerr from Here the Watchman, which, by the way, I'm going to be uh, on their show tomorrow night. But Mike Kerr, uh, hello, Dave? Yeah, Mike? I didn't call you. And we were on an interview, and we brought him in and started talking to him. It was actually kind of humorous, but it's also serious because when you're talking about things they don't like, and on that I was talking about the governor of Hawaii, uh, they can really mess with you. So let me get down to some brass tacks here. I'm going to lead up to BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, but I will tell you this. When you walk away, you're going to realize they are your absolute biggest enemy. Joe Biden is their puppet. The Congress is their puppet. Um we have linked them into Maui extensively, and I'll review that again in case you missed that. But let's go through. Here, let me turn to the right page in my notes here. Let me tell you what I've been doing. I've been reviewing. It's called a meta-analysis. I've, I've been going to Robert Kiyosaki, Stephen Schiff, Doug Casey. Um, I've been going to all these uh, wonderful Ray Dalios. been going to all of their wonderful sites these men are geniuses, and I think for the vast majority of them, their hearts are in the right place. They're very wealthy and successful, but 
they do care about their fellow man and they're giving out information that I think is good. And I've taken a combination of all these economists, probably about, I'm going to say 13, 14 altogether. And I've been looking for common threads. And in research uh, parlance, they would call this a qualitative analysis. Quantitative is when you do data, control group, experimental group, okay, that kind of thing. Qualitative is when you use certain research techniques to analyze narratives. And uh, I'm so glad I took that class. I, I didn't have to take it in the PhD program, but it was really a good experience because I'm able to take these various um, analysts here, economic analysts, and I'm able to look at their data and look at their analysis and then start finding common threads and find differences and patterns begin to emerge. <clears throat> when you do what, what, what's called a meta-analysis, patterns emerge that you don't see in each individual study because one kind of complements the other, they interlock. And so what I'm going to give you is a hybrid model of what all of these researchers are saying. And you know, there might be other people doing this work that I'm doing, but I haven't seen it. And uh, so if you've heard this somewhere else, please let me know because I'd like to visit those sites and compare my analysis to other people doing the same work, because I feel like I'm in uncharted territory. Um, Meta-analysis uh, and, and uh, qualitative analysis are real typical. Uh, qualitative analysis, probably about 10% of all dissertations in the social science field, 90% are quantitative. And meta-analysis, I'd say probably 10% contain a meta-analysis aspect of it, and I mean outside the literature review. Um, so I'm kind of on a ledge here with regard to this environment and using these strategies, but I'm confident in what I'm going to tell you. So let's get into some stuff here. Let's start with basic facts. Uh, good news from the Federal Reserve, or so it appeared today. They did not raise interest rates. Happy days are here again, right? No, not exactly. Um, I think the best way to put it is I'm going to give you things that the fear factor is going to go up. And then I want to remind you, if you do know the Lord, if you do know the Lord, you, you attack problems by faith that you're going to be successful, not by fear. So my, my, my concern here is that I'm going to give you these facts and you're going to go, oh my God, it's hopeless. No, no, no. Calm down, and we work the problem one variable at a time. This is what I tried to teach my son growing up, because he tend to go, oh, you know, and, you know, get excited and stuff. I said, no, what's the first problem here? What's the first step? And we go through it sequentially. Work the problem. You look at people that work well under crisis, okay, they're the ones that know how to work the problem and block everything else out. So let's try to do that here. No rate hike. But here's the deal. The CPI. The inflation rate is still through the roof. The interest rates are not a reflection of CPI, but the people in this country are on the verge of rebelling big time, and that's why they didn't raise the interest rates. I guarantee you that's the reason why. But they said interest rates will remain high. That was Jerome Powell's statement today. So they're going to raise them again, just not this time. Now, what's the real inflation rate? Okay, you've heard me say this before. Now I feel like when I've read this other data and I can accumulate it, because I don't claim to be an economist, but I kind of think I'm an unofficial economist because of all the work I've done in this field. And I am good at stats and research. So sorry, I don't mean to brag, but 
that's part of what I did professionally in academics. Um, they don't count gas. They don't count food. Those are the two most important variables you can have. You have to drive to work and you have to eat, feed your family. The real inflation rate is probably between 18 and 20 percent. And this is what a lot of economists are saying. They're careful because a lot of them are media driven and um, a lot of them want to get invited back onto shows. They can sell their books. So although they're giving you good info, they couch it in a way that's very conservative. Well, it could be as high as 18 or 20 percent. I'm telling you, after I've looked at the ways you can calculate and, and money supply, debt ratios and things like this, I've concluded the inflation rate is between 18 and 20 percent. Now, when you go to eat out or you go to buy anything, is there any doubt that it's this high? I mean, don't all of you here that are on this stream, do you not know that it's that high? But let's even say it's not that high. Let's say Dave Hodges is off his rocker and these other economists, uh, uh, they're, they're full of crap too. So let's just say it's 10%, okay? That means right now you will be paying 10% more at this time next year if the rate stayed constant. Is your, are your wages going up 10%? I, I went and researched this today. Since the advent of the lockdowns, the average American has lost $5,000 per year in buying power. That's just average. It varies according to your income and your situation. Let me give you another statistic. The average wage in real income adjusted for inflation and things like this has gone down by 5,000. Whoa, that's a lot. Yeah. So if inflation is just doing 10% and you've lost 5,000, which represents about 7, what was it? 7.8%, I believe it was. Okay. You've lost 12, 13% right there, just right there. Well, then any movement in prices whatsoever. And then if you notice what's happened to the price of oil, stay with me as we process this. The next step on this rung of understanding. So we're climbing that ladder of understanding. Uh, The gas here in the Phoenix metropolitan area, and I live in a rural area, an hour from downtown, about 30 minutes from the nearest suburb. And so we drive into the suburbs. And gasoline in the last five days has gone up about 50 cents. Okay. And there's no sign it's stopping. Here we are. We're at the end of summer. Vacations are over. And what are we doing? Okay. Now, that means that the cost of shipping goods is going up proportionally. This fuels the inflation rate because we live in a consumer ship it to the market economy. You drive to the store and buy it after the store receives it from transportation. And we're reaching a real dangerous point here. If this were to go on for a couple, three more months, nothing is going to be shipped because when diesel gets over $6 a gallon, the truckers aren't going to go. It's not profitable. They're better off staying home. So I'm I'm taking different roads. I'm kind of surrounding the problem here, but just stay with me on 
statistic, and here's this 5,000 figure. The average American makes 5,000 less than they need to pay their bills. It comes out like this. Americans, 65% of them are living paycheck to paycheck. But the more accurate way to look at this is the average family lacks $5,000 at the end of the year. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot, but what do you got to do when you can't meet basic resources? I'm not talking entertainment. I can go talk and go to the movies. I'm not talking about vacation. I'm not talking about eating out, flying home to see the family at Thanksgiving. I'm not talking about any of that because then what happens to meet those needs is they pull out the credit card at 22%, 23%. You know, honestly, if the mafia were to charge this in their protection rackets, be charged with extortion, which is what it is, but we're being extorted. And who's charging those rates? So now we're going to start to take the first step into my point. Who's charging these rates for Visa, MasterCard, Discover? Guess who the trail of subsidiary corporations ends at? Are you ready? Can you repeat after me? BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, These three corporations, and they're really all one the same. I I agree with Robert Kennedy's analysis on that. Um, These corporations make money when you don't have enough money because you got to dip into the credit card. This is, folks, this is a fact. This is a fact. Now, you know the statistic I told you a couple of days ago, and it's still up on the site. And I said, soon, and I talked about the tax situation, the $5 trillion tax increase from Biden. And I said that um, institutional ownership of real estate, because people get into trouble and default, okay? They go month to month, they can't survive, so they tap into their credit card. That eventually runs out. And then they start getting foreclosed on in various areas. And then they have to sell their home. Guess who benefits? Largely, it's BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, because they have controlling entities in a lot of the banks. Repossession, okay? Financial institutions, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard. And I read a revised statistic today, um, and this seems to be more the prevailing view. We are headed from what I said the other day, 5% to 40% institutional owning of all real estate to 60%. And I want you to hear me and hear me clearly on this. BlackRock will not be happy until they own every home and control every business. They don't have to own every business. I'll just give you one small example. Subsidiary holdings. If I own company A, and A owns B, and B owns C, and so forth and so on down the line. And you start over at the top again. When double A owns double B, okay, you get the idea. Now, it doesn't work that linear, but the analogy fits. I, as the parent company to the first corporation, control the processes of everything. Have you heard Alice Cooper's shows off the air? I'm not going to get into the issues on why. But he said something that a Christian man would likely say on his show. 
new management comes into all these stations that sponsor his show, very popular. Oh, we're sorry, you're done. Okay. BlackRock has that power to make that happen. They own the parent company that owns the parent company that owns the subsidiary that made that decision on Alice Cooper. By the way, if you're not familiar with Alice Cooper, the adult version of Alice Cooper, the elder statesman, man's a committed Christian. The stuff he does in Phoenix for charity, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. He is a great, great man. Forget his rock days when he's a little wild. Look at who he is today. And no, we can't have that on the air. And this is the power of cancel culture. Cancel culture is a product of BlackRock. They are the inventors of ESG. They may not have sat down and actually devised the formula. I don't know who did. But they're the ones who took it and they operationalized it. So, and, I, and I've, you've heard me say this before, but now I think it'll start to make more sense. How do they get a corporation like Bud Light to engage in policies that the public just finds reprehensible and they just walk away in mass? Because they control their ESG. ESG controls credit. It controls banking privileges. Um, it controls business affiliations and access to advertising. And they can just drive you into the ground worse than you would be. And here's the other reason. Bud, Bud Light doesn't like what happened. Anheuser-Busch parent company. They don't like what happened. But they know that when the economy collapses, if they're in good stead with BlackRock, their ESG rating will propel them into a monopolistic position with the economy because most of the competition will be gone. And you're saying, oh, I get it. You know, we saw many example of that in 2009. Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and their competitor, Shearson Lehman. Who got the bailouts and who didn't? Well, the first two I mentioned, they got the bailouts. Shearson Lehman, biggest one around. Bye-bye. The winners and losers were chosen by the people who distributed the funds. And that's exactly what's going to happen with ESG scores applied to the new economy when we go fully digital after the dollar has collapsed. And that, that could happen anytime. Could happen six months, could happen tomorrow. I mean, this is going to come like a thief in the night. Things don't roll up in, in a logarithm. It's not sequential and linear. It's going to come, you're going to see dip, 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 collapse. That's how economic collapses appear. And when that happens, we'll reorganize. We have the answer. Debt repudiation. You're not going to have to pay a thing. Let's see, but how's your ESG rating? How's your social credit score? Oh, they don't call it that, but they have that on you. They have a threat matrix score on you, courtesy of the NSA, that listens to you on every electronic device, my computer, this, uh, your tablet, your iPad, everything, your OnStar uh, situation inside your car. <laughs> You're... Just about every word you say is monitored. Every keystroke right here, every keystroke is recorded and you get a threat matrix score. You will be assigned to your situation at the status you're going to be allowed to live through this. So BlackRock uses this massive ESG. Now, they came out with a false statement about three weeks ago. Uh, we don't use ESG anymore. Bull crap. ESG promotes woke and promotes cancel culture. 
Okay. Now let's enter into the Russell Brand situation. I don't know the truth there, and I don't pretend to know. There are some things that concerned me. Um, that the first allegation, I believe, was 2012. Why does it take 11 years? Okay, why weren't there police reports filed? Why, 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 why? Okay, now forget all that. You could still be guilty and not have those things present. Okay, and if he's guilty, he should pay a price. I totally agree with that. But isn't it interesting that this leftist anti-Trump guy goes anti-woke and full bore to the right and embracing causes like we do, and all of a sudden, boom, stuff from 10, 11 years ago surfaced, and he ain't the only one. See, that's the power of monopolistic control. And by the way, he can't confront his accusers because he doesn't know their names. So I just thought that I would share that part with you. That comes from this cancel culture mentality. The Constitution says you cannot be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Well, you've been fired. And I'll give you another example of this. And I think the guy's a pervert, and it's by my moral standards, okay? And it's the uh, football, former football coach at Michigan State University who entered into what he described as intimate relationship with someone who's a rape survivor and goes around the country and gives for $10,000 her story about rape and what you should do about it, how you handle it. I think it's a valuable service because there are a lot of women that sit on this for their entire life and they shouldn't have to. And if this woman encourages one woman to come forward, I think that's a good thing. But she she apparently entered into this consensual relationship with this man, and he had already been separated from his wife, so there's no scandal there. And let me share with you, well, I won't go into the details, but allegedly they had phone sex, and she said it wasn't consensual. Okay, she's on one side of the country, he's on the other. Couldn't you just go, oh, this is too weird, Bye. 36 minutes on the phone call. Okay. Now, the facts, I'm not going to debate. She might be totally right. She might be totally wrong. Um, Here's what's interesting. This man has a hearing to see if he violated professional ethics on October 5th. This is September 20th, and he's already been fired. Whoa, whoa. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is what you have no rights anymore. If a Michigan state president decides, I just want to get rid of this guy and we'll save all the money on his contract salary. We'll save millions of dollars and we'll say he violated ethics. Let him go. We won't even give him a hearing. Oh, you got to have a hearing. Okay, we'll fire him, then have the hearing. Okay, that's like executing the prisoner for first degree murder before you have the trial. That's exactly what they're doing here. And this is an example of the sick culture that we live in now. And he might be totally guilty and deserve every punishment he's getting. But how about a little due process? See, ESG doesn't allow you due process. Someone in a BlackRock AI computer says, oh, they said this about that. Let's get them. And if you don't think BlackRock isn't issuing these AI council orders and their computers aren't programmed to scan the net for this and go after people and businesses, Think again. This is exactly how it works. Okay, they have way too much power. But you're going to love this. 88% of the stock market is tied up in these three corporations in one way or another, either directly or through their subsidiaries. 88% of these three corporations, this is what they control. Now, 
what's happening with interest rates? To the moon, Alice, right? So what used to be a $1,500 mortgage is now a $3,300 mortgage. We're pricing young people out of the home market. Young adults aren't even thinking about home ownership. Not even in their mindset. And right now, they're, uh, here's a stat here from a government study. 35% of the country is on the verge of homelessness beyond what we already have. 35% of the country. One out of three people today that are not homeless are on the verge of becoming homeless because of these predatory practices I'm talking about. Everything I've said about BlackRock, economically, everything I've said is right there. Let me tell you how bad it's going to get if history is our judge. Do you know about the Ludlow Massacre? Any idea? Happened in 1913. And there was a mine, and it was in Colorado. In fact, actually, there's a memorial. When you drive out of Trinidad north towards Denver, you'll see Ludlow Massacre Memorial. Okay, now, John Rockefeller II took over for Daddy. And he seemed to be a bigger crook than daddy was. You know, daddy used to burn out his competition, right? Rip up the railroad tracks, blow up the refineries. I mean, this is part of American history. This is in, well, it used to be in the history books. So anyway, there was a strike. And the workers were being treated awful. And the housing conditions were terrible. They were raising the rent on them. They weren't able to make ends meet. And so they moved out of the Ludlow mining town. It was a company town. So they moved out of the mining town housing owned by Rockefeller and they set up a, a, a camp of tents. Okay. And, and then they pretty much continue to go to work. Eventually they'll go on strike. Well, Rockefeller sent in his goons and he burned down the tents. And a lot of men were killed. Well, Rockefeller owned some property in Colorado. And this is what I think may happen in Lahaina. I'm not advocating for it. I'm just thinking it may happen. The Ludlow Massacre survivors teamed up. And they went and found Rockefeller properties and burned them to the ground in retaliation. It got so out of hand that Colorado, because they were connected to CFNI, uh, and major dump on the Colorado economy in 1913. And the state of Colorado went bankrupt. And they uh, said, we need help. They went to President Wilson, who is really the probably the second or third most corrupt president ever, also a Democrat. And he sent in the army. And then things really got ugly. And then after it was all over and all the people were subjugated and the people who weren't killed or disabled, they were forced to go back to work under threat of imprisonment. And then John Rockefeller had the nerve to show up at the camp and they had a party and he danced with the miners' wives, particularly the widows. Anything wrong with that picture there? This is part of Colorado history. If you grow up in Colorado like I did, you take a history of Colorado class, you learn about this in detail. At least you used to. I don't know if they have censored that now, but when I was in school, I learned about this. This is exactly what we're being set up for. And I'm not going to talk about causation in Lahaina. What I am going to talk about is that governor had lined up everything to take that land from those people. And now the mayor is the head of a four-person commission, and they're going to decide about recovery. 
the people are having their land stolen from them. They have a right to that land right now, today, for more time and memorial. And I have made much issue, and I won't go into it again. We have all this money for foreign countries, including Iran, which is a terrorist nation. And the exact amount we gave to Iran is what it would take, according to Tulsi Gabbard, to rebuild Lahaina. Uh, um, what they just have done to these people is Ludlow Part 2. 1913-2023. But if you think they're going to stop with Lahaina, think again. They want your home, and they're going to force you out of it. They're keeping other people from buying the homes. You know, the average home five years ago in America was worth $210,000. Today, it's $350,000. Well, how did that happen? Predatory practices by the Federal Reserve, increased debt spending by the federal government, and BlackRock credit card policies. That's what's happened. And you right now, you have 65% of the country that really can't make ends meet. You have 80% of the country that can't afford a $500 car repair bill. And I know I'm probably talking to some of you here, and this is no fault of your own. You go work your 40 or your 60. Actually, I read this about 10 years ago. Compared to 1990, Americans in 2010 were working 20% longer, adjusted for inflation, 20% less. No fault of yours. But you are living in a country that's being turned into a fiefdom. This is feudalism. BlackRock, Bill Gates, and China are buying up farmland, although China won't be buying much of anything anymore. I'm going to do a piece later tonight on what's happening with China. Oh, boy, I'll tell you, China could be on the verge of a civil war. They're on the verge of an economic collapse, but they could be on the verge of a civil war, but we'll cover that in a later presentation. Let me go through some more um, deals here, okay? Um a nation's economic health. We have no way out of this in the situation we're in. We have to restructure, but we have to make sure we don't restructure with CBDC. Uh, we have something we call debt to GDP ratio. GDP stands for gross domestic product. It's the total sum of goods and services produced by a nation. Okay, it's Basically, it's asset base. Uh, debt, that's self-explanatory. Now, a good debt-to-GDP ratio is about 70 to 100. Debt 70, GDP 100. Okay? When you reach 90, that nation's probably going to collapse over time. 90 to 100, that's the chest pains before the heart attack. They're getting more severe, and you're getting severe blockages in the heart. This is what's happened to our economy, but we're no longer 90 to 100. That was about six years ago. Today, our debt-to-GDP ratio is 130 to 100. I'll let that sink in. There's no way out of this. And even if there was, we don't have the labor base to do this. Our birth rate for native-born people here in this country is 1.7. Actually, it's a little under 1.7. No nation in the history of the planet has ever come back from anything less than 1.8. You need 2.1 to maintain your population. Where's your labor base going to come from? Well, all the illegals coming in. Yeah. Um, when the Vietnam War ended and we had all these Vietnamese refugees come here, you know who we got? We got their doctors and their lawyers and their professors and their politicians with advanced degrees and this and that or the other. 
and their kids were just flipping brilliant. And it led to a discrimination rise because their kids were kicking Native American kids' ass all, all through. Everyone who was born in America was losing out to the Vietnamese people, okay? My niece ended up in a tie. And what do I mean by that? Well, a boy who was the son of a Vietnamese refugee, been a politician, okay, 4.0, okay, unweighted. And my niece had a 4.0, co-valedictorians. She was lucky, and I told her that. <laughs> You're one of the few that even came out with a tie. These people were awesome academically. And they got here to America with our freedoms, and they just took off. Income soared. But let's look at the people that are coming here now. I would say, although they're letting the jails out, so we can no longer say 94% of the people come here are probably good people. 6% are criminal. Can't say that anymore because of the populations. They're letting out the mental institutions. They're letting out the prisons. I mean, Venezuela, they just basically have emptied it all and say, go north, young man. Go north. Actually, it's go west now, but that old mentality. Uh, I would say probably 70% of the people crossing our border are good people, second generation, their kids will probably do okay in our society once they master the language, understand a little more about the culture and how things work here. Uh, they'll do much better. But but here's the deal. We're getting people today, okay, mm -hmm. like when people came from Europe and other parts of the world, for the most part, they were educated. They had minimal education. These people have third and fourth grade educations, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, because if they had more education, they'd be making ends meet in the country they're in. They wouldn't have the need to come to America, now would they? So we don't have a skilled labor base to rebuild the So you can have all these people here. How many of them in the first generation who don't speak English, don't understand how our society works, how American business works? How many of them are going to be able to work? So what are you going to be doing? You're going to be paying tax dollars to support these people not to work. It's called welfare. Yeah. And they we're actually already arranging Social Security benefits for many of these people. So when you look at that, it's going to be a drain on society, at least in the first generation, for 20 years. And we're not getting any return for our investment because are these people going to continue to uh, work and give back to the society? No, they're not. And here's why they're not. They work off the books. Why? Because they're illegal. And employers love them because I don't have to pay Social Security. I don't have to pay, pay unemployment insurance. I don't have to do any of that. And I don't have to adhere to any workplace protocols. I can basically treat them any way I want. Save money, cut corners at every turn. And I love this system. And then you have AI entering the equation. Let me give you what uh, Morgan Stanley is saying today. This is, hold on to your hat, folks. You know right now that restaurants had a hard time. We came out of the pandemic, the lockdowns. They had a hard time filling staff, right? And you found that in department stores. And you'd walk into a restaurant, you might see 10 empty tables. Uh, what do you mean it's an hour wait? Well, we don't have enough waitresses to cover it all. Do you remember those days? Yeah. Well, those days are changing. Here's why. Um the corporations face a $2 trillion debt. They have a debt wall. Okay, and I'll give you an example of the extreme end of what it looks like. If you go into the prime shopping area of what used to be San Francisco Union Square, okay, I've been there with my wife. We were there 30 years ago. 
We wouldn't go anywhere near there today. You could pay me to go there. Uh, but you walk down to where they had the best businesses. You know, they had uh, Saks Fifth Avenue, Nordstrom's, you know, all the, the top stores for clothing. And a huge, huge mall. Uh, I think it was a half a billion dollar mall that they just sold for $100 million. Every one of these stores for 36 blocks are closed. Every one of them. They got tired of people wouldn't come in. They wouldn't watch people defecate in front of the stores or do their drug deals and then inject themselves, pass out on the street, puke on people's shoes. People said, I'm not going to do that. And these people went broke. And then, of course, then they had the shoplifting laws, right? It ain't shoplifting until they take almost $1,000 of your goods. Democrats are so good for city health. So all of this is an example of the $2 trillion debt wall that the corporations are facing. Now, how are they going to respond to this? <laughs> this is not good. They have an out. They can cut corners, cut products, cut services, but eventually they got to cut personnel, correct? But they may have labor needs that make it difficult to cut personnel. So what will they do? They will turn to what? AI. And they may not want to do AI. But gee, I'm saving money here. If 10 robots are good, how about 100? And we're going to increasingly see this. Let me give you the projections now. This came from these economists that I've been studying. They believe starting in October, and I'll give you some of the reasons in a second why it's October. We're first going to see 5,000 job losses. Now, by the way, if you believe the government and their inflation rates, their unemployment, let me give you an example of their unemployment. Their unemployment such BS when they figure the rate. If you were on unemployment insurance, okay, you, you took it, you had the benefits for six months, okay, and you go off, mandatory going off, the benefits end. They assume you got a job. There may be no such thing that you got a job, but they assume you did because they're no longer paying you. So you go off the unemployment rolls for the government figures. Let me give you another one that they do. This, this, is, this is even better. If you are a hairdresser and you have a license from the state, they never count you as unemployed, no matter what your status is. Even if you're collecting benefits for unemployment, they don't count you as unemployed because you have a license. They're assuming you're working. If you're a teacher and you have a teacher credential, if you're an accountant and you're certified, um, they, the same thing. If you have any type of designation for a profession, a licensing or credentialing requirement, you are determined to be employed. So you can't believe a damn thing this government's going to say in the upcoming month about the employment rate. It's going to be a big freaking joke. But you know what? The mainstream media and all their little hired economists, oh, look at the news here from the government. Isn't this good? Things are so much better. Oh. And they don't do one ounce of analysis because if they did, they'd be fired because they work for propaganda institutions, not for true journalism outlets. Okay, now here's the really bad news. The unemployment's going to go from 5000 a month to early next year on into the spring and summer months, 10000 a month. And it's going to continue for the foreseeable future. This is what our best economists are telling. Let me give you a couple reasons why. 44 million Americans. I had this number wrong when I reported earlier, and I had to double and triple check this. The government said 7 trillion. 
And stupid me, I took the government's word for something that I found out I was duped. I said 7 million Americans are going to be paying an average of $505 of student loan debt starting on October 1st. I had the story correct, except for the amount of Americans. It's actually 18% of the workforce. It's 44 million. A car used to cost for payments at $300 a month. Today it's $750. To operate a vehicle, when you include all the ancillaries and break it down, you know, the month, it's $1,500. So let's take that $800 increase and we tack it on to 44 million Americans that are going to have a $500 debt on average. How many budgets can absorb $1,300? Okay, that's one reason why the home ownership is in the toilet. They're not going to get the money accumulated for the down payment. There's no way for them to save money. They're part of that group that can't make ends meet. They're $5,000 below where they need to be just to make basic needs meet. Do you see how close we are to the wheels coming off? Let me scan my notes here and see if I have anything else. People can barely afford to rent their homes. Everyone's turned into a renter now. The idea is to eliminate home ownership. I have said that many times. Um, I talked about BlackRock in Lahaina. The biggest developer, and I have a hard time believing they won't be the major player. The biggest developer in the United States, Keller Williams. Their biggest stock investor, you guessed it, BlackRock, 19.5%. That's a cleanup in Lahaina. Do you think with the power BlackRock has that they're going to let that mayor make it possible for the people to come back? Now, let's look at another factor. When have you ever seen a natural disaster like this where the people didn't get some type of semi-reasonable compensation? This is about the first time I've ever seen this. $700 for a family. That won't even get them through a month of uh, expenses in Hawaii. And we have all this money to throw at foreign entities. BlackRock's influence on Joe Biden. The governor. We have to take the land. And we're going to rezone it. We'll build a monument, move the people off to the big island. That's on tape, courtesy of James O'Keefe. Good job, Mr. O'Keefe. Would you say they have too much power? From what you've heard here with BlackRock, and I have only begun to touch the surface, would you say they have too much power? Would you say they're a monopoly? I think they're the poster child for a monopoly. Well, what do the laws say we should do? You've got Sherman Antitrust Act, Clayton Antitrust Act, and all kinds of legislation in the modern era that led to the breakup of the baby bells. You remember Ma Bell and they broke them all up. Uh, AT&T's had to subdivide everything. And then competitors came along like Verizon, right? So you had that situation. They broke up that monopoly. 
You tell me. Should we not be breaking up BlackRock? I said this this morning. They have $9 trillion they claim as assets. Now, do you think they claim everything given offshore bank accounts and stuff? I think it's reasonable to say we're just seeing a snapshot of the picture, true picture. But even if they're reporting everything, $9 trillion, that makes them the fourth richest nation in the world. Fourth richest. Is that a monopoly? They control 88% of the stock market while Vanguard and State Street with them are partners. Why aren't we doing something about it? I've raised the repeated question, and today I got my answer. You probably saw the video I did where I said, uh, Congress, why have you forsaken Maui? We haven't heard one person in Congress raise their voice about, we got to do more, and Joe Biden's full of crap. This is coming up on primary election season, and you think the GOP would be trying to score points because the Democratic president left these poor people lying out to dry, and you're not hearing a word about it. Why? Repeat after me. BlackRock. BlackRock. And without Congress breathing down your neck, Governor Green, or Gang Green, because you're a gangster and you're part of the Agenda 2030 gang, perfect name for you, Gang Green. But see, he has no check and balance on him. He knows Congress doesn't dare go against BlackRock. He knows that. So he can say, the day before the fire, I declare that even though you're a historical preservation site, if there is a natural disaster, we have the right to rezone your land to move you off of it. And the coup de grace will be the mayor's four-person council. That's how they'll divide it up. You're just seeing the beginning. Now, let's take a 30-foot, 1,000-foot aerial view. You've heard me say Maui is the hill to die on. This is where we meet the forces of BlackRock, the UN, Agenda 2030, and all their little minions like Governor Gangrene and Mayor Bisson and police chief and take them on at Lahaina and defeat them and force these people to be funded to where they can rebuild and reestablish their community the way that it was. This is the hill to die on. And the more I research this crap in the economy, the more I see this could be the deciding battle. This could be the deciding battle. They often say that, you know, the Battle of Midway in World War II was the turning point. We went on the offensive. The Japanese never launched another offensive again. That's true. Okay, this is the turning point. This is the chief encounter. And we have to stand with the people of Maui because we're fighting these forces here. It's all coalesced and centered right there for us to see. All the elements I'm talking about are here. What do you think? Got any questions? Any super chats would be appreciated, but um, see if we have any questions out here that people want to get answered. Everyone is their own leader and accountable to God. Yeah, I agree. I mean, do you understand when I tell you people that we are on our own? Congress is made up of prostitutes. 
their legislation is based on who the highest bidder is for their campaign donations. They're corporate whores. I mean, they're getting us to believe this fiction that 95 people died in Lahaina and they, they won't show missing persons lists. They haven't accounted for the 2,400 kids as listed numerically on the Department of Education site. And they're getting away with it. This morning, did you see the piece I did when Green talks to the UN? This was a climate change event. When he talks to the uh, general public who criticizes him, you're a Russian and Chinese disinformation. You're the reason this happened. And maybe China did have something to do with it. Uh, And then, of course, legally, he agrees with a lawsuit of Maui County against Hawaii Electric. And uh, so he blames Hawaii Electric. He, he can't keep his story straight. His causation theories come directly from the very group he's talking to. He tells them what he thinks will be most effective in the situation he's in. And this is your future community. You heard me last night talk about the 30-30 plan, right? I talked about how the government's trying to own all farmland. Well, when they privatize it in their NGOs and their PPPs, who do you think is going to be there on the receiving end? Exactly. It's not going to end with the government. The government doesn't want to own anything. They want someone else to own it, do the work, and they'll be happy to tax it. Okay, other questions here? This is a worldwide collapse. We, the people of the world, are on our own. Yeah. This, you know, what is it? I heard this statistic today on a TED Talk. I only watched 10 minutes of it because this woman turned into a flaming liberal who didn't have the sense to tie her shoes. Um, But she quoted some stats that were correct. In the last 20 years, civil war kind of actions has gone up by 50% across the planet. The problem is, is unlike Karl Marx advocated for the working people of the world to unite and stand up to these people, overthrow the capitalists, take their resources and share it equally, and we'll be good communists for the rest of our lives. Okay, that's some pretty flawed logic, but he was right about one thing. Before we can solve the problem, we have to have a collective consciousness. And he did. Karl Marx did speak to this. He said, before the workers of the world can have a successful revolution of any kind, they got to think alike. They got to know what the problems are. They got to know who the enemy is, and they have to decide on a course of action. This is why I do this work. It's workers of America, while well, you still have a job, unite. Unite. Here are the issues. You don't have to agree with everything I say, but I'm putting you in the ballpark of facts. And some will say, well, I don't agree with Dave here. But overall, yeah, I, I can see what's happening because it's obvious in how our country's turning out. Your country is being purposely destroyed. And you're looking at one of the companies here that's going to benefit from the destruction, and they're adding to it. Okay, final call for questions here. Um, amen. There are churches that are pretty good. If your pastor, here's your litmus test. If he takes scripture and links it into the huge problem areas of today that are horribly immoral and brings it back to you and says, this is what we can allow. This, we got to pray for this to change. Then you've got a pastor who's responsible. 
If you get a pastor that just does the perfunctory, okay, here's your communion. We'll do a few baptisms. I'll pat you on the head, tell you how great God is and send you home. And there's no life lessons there. There's nothing for the family. There's nothing for the individual. There's nothing for the community. Well, then you've got someone who probably belongs to the clergy response team controlled by DHS. And the moment they say something against the government, they'll lose their tax exempt 501c3 status. So you really got to choose your pastors wisely. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are linking all these things together. Okay, now here's the deal. You guys are smart. You're really smart. Go out and bring people to this level of understanding. Make them realize we have a limited amount of time to stand up and stop this. We can do it with the sheer numbers. We can do it with passive civil disobedience the same way Martin Luther King did. Rosa Parks, even though she wasn't trying to be a hero or a protester, she was. Because she just said, I had enough of this crap. We need people like that today. But we need millions of them. And when the government passes a law that's legitimate, you should follow it. When it's unconstitutional, when it's harming America, then we say, no, we're not going along with you on that. You need to go out. It's up to you. It's up to you. I've done my job tonight. Now it's up to you guys who've been here. Do your job. And I'm sure a lot of you already are. Redouble your efforts. We need to stop people from thinking they can get away with being into bystander apathy. We need to stop people who think that they can get away with there's no problem, I'll bury my head in the sand, and this will all blow over like a bad storm. This is the end of humanity as we know it. By the way, did you see my uh, previous uh, post? Harari came out, and he said today that, um, how do you put this? The end of human history is coming. No, not the end of history. Human history. He said, it's like we'll be taken over by aliens from some planet. But it really won't be aliens. It'll be beings that can think and act on their own. He's talking about AI. He's right now talking about you you have no free will. He calls us hackable humans Free will is imagination today. This is all the things he says. You got limited time. Oh, your dad had a tough job. A lot of those pilots got shot down. Uh, Normandy Beach, glider pilots. I'm assuming the uh, 101st Airborne, 82nd Airborne jumped out of those planes. Um, yeah, pretty tough stuff. Anyway, thank you for showing up here. Let's go forth. Let's change the country. We can revive America. We can change the world. I'll see you back here next time. Um, I should mention this too real quick here. There's a product here. I've been using this. It works. It's called trimwithdave.com. Eight pounds in nine days. And I work out. And sometimes I work out harder than others. So I can't say it's not due to some of that. But this stuff does work. It has CLA in it. And it slows fat retention, but speeds up fat burning. And uh, there's all kinds of research. Go to trimwithdave.com. Great discount, 60-day guarantee, so you're not taking a chance. So do that, trimwithdave.com. Hope you benefit from it because we're in an age now where we need to train 
That's part of the training. Prep and pray. We'll see you back here next time.